Hopefully you can hear me. Good morning. It's always good to start, isn't it, with the children thinking about what we are hoping and what we are trusting for. But I have another question for you this morning as we start and as we delve into some wisdom from the book of Proverbs together. And the question I have for you, it may draw on an experience you've been in, or maybe it's just an experience that I've been in before. But have you ever been in a job interview and they ask you, in my opinion, the dreaded question? Not the standard strengths and weaknesses question that you often get, but this is the vision question where you might have been asked, like I've been asked before, where do you see yourself in five years' time? Have you ever been asked that before? And the reason I think it's the dreaded question is how on earth are you supposed to answer that? Do you go in really confidently and say, still working for you, even though they've not given you the job yet? Do you go in uh, really ambitiously and tell them about your big master plan and go in kind of to show that you have lots of passion and lots of drive, yet you might come across a little bit arrogant? Do you go in really humbly and say, oh, I don't know, but actually, secretly, you kind of have some desires that you're just not sort of letting them into? But the thing is, how are you supposed to answer that question? Because we live in a world and a culture that is obsessed with us knowing exactly where we are going and what we are going to do. Because it's really interesting, when you come to think about forward planning, and in our society today, we tell all of our young people and ask them to narrow down their life's experiences by the age of 16 and kind of encourage them that they are going to know what to do for the rest of their lives. But I wonder today, if you look back on your life, whether you would be surprised with the plans that you have taken, the path that you have walked. Because we're going to consider together the wisdom we find in Proverbs about this idea of God's plans for our lives and the idea of the plans that we make for our own life. Because by nature, I wonder how you would describe yourself. Are you a planner? Or are you more a free-spirited person that kind of goes with the flow, see where things may take you? Maybe you're more spontaneous uh, in personality. Because I would go as far to say that I am an organiser. I love to make plans, and I think that planning is actually one of my favourite hobbies. I think that organised plans fun is the best fun that you can have, but I know that some people would disagree with that. My family at times get hugely frustrated with my love of dates and forward planning and being organised. Yesterday we were on a mini road trip, I went with some of my family to see my nan, And I love playing this game of, do you remember what we were doing this time last year? To which my brother actually replied saying, Zoe, you know what we're doing this time next year, which is very, very true. Sometimes this is to my detriment, I must admit. But I was one of the few of us, unfortunately, that had COVID over Christmas and isolating in that time from Christmas and New Year, just this year gone. And it's always difficult to isolate, isn't it? And at Christmas, it's difficult because you want to be with your friends and the family and the people that you love. But the way I got through that time was to make so many plans for the year ahead. I don't know whether it was out of sympathy or out of willingness, but my family agreed to go on a family summer holiday this year. And they had to, because I wasn't with them at Christmas. They had to agree to spend some time with me in the summer. But as much as I love planning, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here today too, 
This has been a really difficult time for us, hasn't it? So, so challenging, because we have grieved for so many plans that we have made that have not come to fruition. So many things that we've missed out on, that we have hoped and that we have longed for. We've learned to make more flexible plans, haven't we? And for some of us, this comes more naturally. We hold things more lightly. But for others of us, this time has made us realize how many things are out of our control. And when I look back on the last few years of my life, I find it incredible to consider how God has established my steps in a different direction to the way I would have thought. God has been incredibly gracious to me, leading me one step at a time. And I've told you this story before, but four years ago, I was finishing my time with swim, studying a theology degree like her lovely Lydia is. And in my final year of studying, as I've shared before, we were organizing a farm sale after my dad had been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And everything I was working towards was coming to an end at once. My dad was diagnosed in the November. We then spent our Christmas planning how we were going to get through uh, that period of time, how we were going to relinquish our farm tenancy, and how we hired a, a land agent to kind of make that work. But when I'm faced with a crisis or a challenge, my way of dealing with it is to make a plan to get all the way through. It's kind of like the story, you're going on a bear hunt. You can't go over it, you can't go under it, you can't go around it, you have to go through it. And I could see everything that I was working on coming to an end at once. My degree, my work with the churches that I was placed in at the time, living at home as well as farming. So I remember panicking, thinking, what on earth am I going to do? So I researched at Christmas and I applied to do a PGCE, so to train to be a primary school teacher. And then I was like, phew, I've got a plan, all will be okay, I'll have somewhere to live, I can go to university, the teachers are laughing in the front row. <laughs> but then in January, my tutor sat me down and said, where's this email come from? Why out of a sudden have, do you think this is what you're going to do next? And he said, I'm not going to write you a reference yet until you can give me a good enough reason for wanting to do this. And he asked me to go and think and, think and pray about it and come back and speak to him the next month. And in that month, I did a lot of thinking about what I was going to do next. And I had three people on one day come and see me. Some via email, some, one person rang me and one person spoke to me. But each of them didn't know each other. And they came and they said, we just don't think teaching is for you at the moment. And then I started to listen. And I went back in February to conference again and was having multiple conversations and everybody else in my year group was kind of starting to apply for different ministry jobs, seeing what they could go and do. And I had a conversation with Paul, who leads SWIM, and I said to him, things are really hard. Things are really grueling. I just cannot see what I'm going to do next. I just I can't see how this is going to work out. And he said to me, it's okay. Take six months off, have a rest, think and pray, and maybe apply for a job in January. And I was so relieved. I was like, okay, that's okay. I've got another plan now. I won't go into teaching. I'm going to take six months off. And I was really, really excited. Um, but I had another plan that I could hold on to. And having this conversation with me, he said, what kind of job are you looking for? And I said to him, I don't want to live in a city, and I don't want to live more than an hour away from my parents. 
And he was like, fine, I'm sure something will work out. And as we're studying this series of wisdom, thinking about Proverbs, please hear me this morning when I say it is great to seek the wisdom of others, the wise counsel of other people in our lives, because I wouldn't be where I am without listening to others. But that evening, I was home from conference, and a job appeared on Facebook. I was quite intrigued by it, and there was someone uh, from my church that I was in at the time who was a careers advisor. And if you're friends with a career advisor on Facebook, all they do is share job opportunities. So this is how I found out about a job in, at Honiton Family Church. And I messaged Paul, and I said, I'd listen to everything you said. I honestly did, but I'm going to apply for a job. <laughs> and he said to me, that's okay. It's less than an hour away from your family. It's not a city. I know of the pastor there. He seems like a good guy. Go for it. So I did. I pushed the door and arrived to work in Honiton, where Luke and Gemma were based at the time. And a couple of months into my time there, they accepted the call to come and serve here at Hope. And I loved my time in Honiton. It was a brilliant time where I grew in confidence. I lived nearby to my family. And I kind of started to explore what it was that God was calling me to. But then a conversation came about coming to hope potentially and applying for a job here. And I remember chatting to my mum, thinking, how on earth is she going to feel about this? Because this is going to mean moving further away. And I've always said I'd never move to a city. And I rang her and I said, I'm wondering about applying for a job in Plymouth. And she said to me, we've not been sure how to tell you this, Zoe. But for a few weeks, we've been planning to make your bedroom into a kitchen. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, that's not what I was expecting you to say, but that's fine. Go for it, mum. I'm going to apply for this job. You knock down my bedroom and make it into a kitchen. And she did, and I did, and here I am today. But through all of this, I had this sense that God was leading me one step at a time. And I would have never have chosen to have moved to a city or to serve a church as big as Hope. But I remember God giving me at the time this picture of stepping stones, that he was leading me one step at a time. And on that Sunday, I preached at Honiton, and someone from our leadership team came and spoke to me afterwards and said, that was great, thank you. I just have this sense that God is, uh, this place is a stepping stone for you. And he had no idea about the impact and the words of his encouragement was to me. But as I was thinking about this message today of my plans and God's plans, as I analyse it, I can see a common thread. Go with me here for a moment. I plan to go into teaching. God had other plans for me. I plan to take six months out to recover, to heal. But God had plans for me to meet people that would help me heal and recover and loved me through their hospitality. I plan to stay nearby to my parents Yet there was a challenge that God said for me to trust them to him, reminding me that it's not my job to look after them, it's his. I plan to stay in Honiton for probably four to five years, I don't know, but to see their youth and children's work really grow. But God planned for me to be there for a much shorter season than I was expecting, but it was a time of recovery for me and for them, and building me up and building others up there too. I vowed never to live in a city, but God had other plans. I planned to explore a call to ministry that was very, very gentle, very, very quiet in the background, but after my dad passed away, but God had other plans. I planned to serve 
hoped children and families for a longer season than I did, but a global pandemic that none of us saw coming allowed me to explore a call to ministry that I would never have had the confidence to go for. And when I analyse over the last few years my plans versus God plans, I can see a common thread. Every plan that I made centred around me longing to seek safety and security. I don't have anywhere to live, so let's go to university. I don't want to move far away because I'm really fearful what the future might be for my dad, so I'll stay nearby. I lack so much confidence, so I'm going to stay with things that are so familiar. And I'm reminded of the verses that we read in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 to 9. This is the Lord speaking. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've already explored it a little bit, but Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. I was planning my course, but it was the Lord who established my steps. His ways, his purposes, his thoughts were so much higher and so much better for me than I could have planned. And the plans I was making came from a place of fear and a desire to seek safety and comfort. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but when we are driven by them, I don't think that is what God is desiring for us. But the proverb I really want us to hone in on for a few minutes together is so familiar to us, often we cite it, but I think in practice, if we follow it, then we are going to get ushered into a place of deeper discipleship. You'll know it. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And other translations describe it as acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And this morning, as we seek wisdom together, as we seek God's guidance about how to discern his will for our lives, how to make godly decisions as followers of Christ, then we're going to consider this proverb, consider this instruction for us to trust and this idea of submission, and this idea of obedience together. Because like I've said already, I really believe that this proverb, if practiced, is going to take us into a greater intimacy with Christ. Because you cannot trust in the Lord without having a relationship with him, without accepting Jesus as your Lord, our Saviour, without understanding his character or his nature. Because you cannot trust someone or something without having any knowledge of them or experience of them. To speak of trust tells us or alludes to this idea of having a confidence or a security. And this proverb talks about trusting in God with all of your heart. And we know from other parts of scripture, don't we, that when the heart is mentioned, it's being referred to as the ruling center of our lives. It encapsulates our whole being, and it's kind of where the wellspring of life comes from. Jesus himself, doesn't he, warns that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So when I was making plans out of a place of fear, then this kind of revealed where my heart was at. But trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts means then there is no room for us to lean on our own understanding. Why? Because our understanding is so limited, isn't it? We devise our own plans that are normally centred on us with a limited knowledge of what might come in time. God sees the bigger picture and has our best interest in mind. But not only our interest, the interest of others. And I think it's really important for us to realise again that sometimes it's not all about us and God calls us to be a blessing to others. But when I picture this idea of leaning, I picture someone on crutches, hunched over, putting all of their weight and support on the crutches in front of them. Because when we lean or put our weight on something else for understanding, whatever that is, I think it looks different for each of us. For some of us, it might be our finances. If our finances are okay, then we can lean on that in a time of crisis. For others of us, it might be knowledge or intellect or academia. It'll be okay because I can make a plan up and go with it. For others, we might lean on people, probably. If they're in my life or kind of friendship or family, then it's okay. We'll get through together. If we're going to ask a vulnerable question today, then I wonder if it's this. What is your tendency to lean on? What do I lean on instead of trusting in God? What is preventing you today from potentially trusting fully in God at the moment? And that might be unanswered prayer. It might be a kind of a skewed view of his nature. It might be that the challenging, you're really challenged by circumstances you're currently in. And it might be that you're just carrying a great deal of hurt and it's easier to kind of, you're kind of limping and I get that too. In lockdown, we did an alpha course online for many weeks over Zoom. And one of the questions that we had thrown at us was that Christianity is probably a crutch for the weak. Faith is for those who need it, intimating that others can get by without it. And it's kind of really challenged me, because on the one hand, I was like, yes, I am really weak, and I am in need of help. I'm in need of Christ, and I'm okay to admit that. But this was kind of the moot point in our discussions, if you like, because we got so stuck on it and we couldn't really move past it. This concept of sin, that we're all weak, this basic assumption that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of rescuing. Because I think if not, if we're not alert, there's a real danger that pride can creep in, where we go, I'm okay. I can do this on my own. I don't need to rely on God. I don't need to trust in him or anyone. I can lean on my own understanding and I can get through anything. But the wisdom we find in Proverbs is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then the kind of the second part in verse 6, again, we see this instruction where God is interested in all of us. At first, it's trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And then we see that it's how we do this is submitting or acknowledging him in all of our ways. 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Submit to him in all of your ways. God is asking us to trust him fully by giving him everything we have. By submitting to him, acknowledging him, not after we've made our plans, because we're quite good at doing that, aren't we? We make plans, we press on, and then we ask God to bless them. But actually, what we see here is God saying, I want you to give me everything, trust me, submit to me, and why do we do this? I think it's a matter of worship. Paul encourages us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this proverb isn't just a tool for wisdom. It's not just about discernment alone, because there's no shortcut from hearing exactly what God wants, unless it comes out of relationship. Does that make sense? There's no shortcut that comes to living a godly life. We don't just attempt to trust to receive a straight path. Instead, Romans 12 verse 1 tells us that it's our worship to God. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So living a life of submission, or acknowledging God, or having knowledge of God in all of your ways, is countercultural. But it's through that, it's through a life of submission, it's through living as a, a sacrifice before God, that we are able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. And I think some of us need to hear it today, that God's will is perfect and his ways are good. And we see Jesus doing this, don't we, in his life. We see him test and approve what God's will is. Let me take you to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is pleading and testing over God's will and his ways and his plans for Jesus' life. So Jesus gathers his close disciples with him, doesn't he? And he asks them to sit and pray with him. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Please stay here, keep watch and pray with me. Can you imagine that? Jesus saying in his weakness, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Please stay, please pray with me. And Jesus goes off and he pleads with God and he says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returns to find his disciples asleep in his greatest hour of need. And he goes again and he prays a second time, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's as if Jesus is praying, Lord, is there any other way than the cross? But then surrenders his will and says, not my will, but yours. When God asks us to trust him, he is desiring all of us and all of our ways. Submission is an act of worship that acknowledges that he is king and it's his ways 
that we desire. It's about saying yes. It's about pleading. It's about testing what God's will is and acknowledging that his ways are higher than our ways. Because I think the most tempting thing about this proverb is the consequence, I guess, of trusting with everything we have, submitting to him in all of our ways. Because then it says, he will make straight our paths. And I think this verse, taken without being framed by the rest of scripture, could mislead us. Because it's easy to equate that a straight path might mean an easy life. But that's not what is being described here. Living a life of obedience will equate to us experiencing hardship. I'm reminded about the life of Paul who suffered for the gospel. And at times he made plans that were prevented. You could not describe Paul to have an easy life or a straight path. He endured such persecution, so many challenges on the way. And he made good plans that had a godly purpose. But on multiple occasions, we read in the New Testament, we learn of Paul's desire to go to Rome. And his hope for going there was to build people up, to see uh, their faith unlocked, if you like, and the gospel spread in the capital city of the Roman pagan empire. So his plans were super strategic. They came from an admirable place and a desire to see the church built up and the kingdom extended. But yet we read in Acts of multiple missionary trips prompted by the Holy Spirit actually in other places. He was prevented from going to where he wanted to go. We read of them actually going to places like Macedonia and other places and this having a great impact for the gospel. But when Paul finally ends up in Rome, he's there under house arrest. He's in chains being persecuted. Yet we read in Philippians that Paul continues to rejoice despite his suffering. And I'm just going to read two verses from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Because here, Paul is talking about plans that were prevented. Yet when they happened, it was in a different way to what he was picturing. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Some of us have made plans that have been prevented, that we kind of thought, where is the straight path that you're taking me on? Yet here, Paul tells us to rejoice in our sufferings, and actually what ended up happening had a greater purpose than he could have pictured. In all of this, Paul tells us that our suffering will produce endurance, our endurance will produce character, and our character will produce hope. And I long to pray for us this morning to have a renewed sense of hope for the future that God has before us. Because sometimes all we see is the next step, and we can't see where God is at work, we can't see the bigger picture But the God who is inviting us this morning to put our trust in him is an active God. 
He is at work. His plans are still to prosper us. We're going to sing the refrain of a song in the moment. He has not forgotten us. He is faithful. He delights in you. His desire is to partner with us, not to hold us against our will. As I've heard it described before, before, God is the perfect gentleman. He won't violate the free will that he has given us, yet invites us to partner with him. Today, the invitation for us is an invitation to trust, to fully surrender our lives, our hopes, our ways, and our thoughts to him. The road ahead will not be pain-free. We are called to rejoice in our sufferings. And why this is all a daily act of worship. Today I'd love to pray for us to have a renewing of our hope, a restoring of our joy for the future. Because some of us have plans that we have made, longings or desires that we just haven't seen. And I want to pray this morning that you would see how God might be at work in that. Others of us might be carrying areas of our life, whether that's singleness or marriage or the care of our children, born or not yet born or hoped for, whatever it might be. And you can recognize, like my story, what might be driving you at the moment is actually a feeling of unsettledness, a feeling of fear. You're not being driven by kind of a loving, obedient relationship. And I wonder if God is giving us an opportunity this morning to surrender those things and to acknowledge that his ways might be different to our ways, but that he is asking us to trust him through it. And I wonder others of us too, today might be the time where we go, no, I need to seek wise counsel about this. Invite others in and to allow them to pray for you. But I'm going to invite the band to to come and I'd love to pray and then I'm going to ask Luke to lead us in a response.